0: Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly loot crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freakinggeeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear.
1: Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans, by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael.
2: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Michael. Hey, how's everybody doing today? All right. So, well, you know, they can't respond, but they can respond in their head when they're listening to the podcast. Hopefully, that's what they're doing. Well, Um, yeah, Hopefully, they're having a good day. Yeah, hopefully, they're having a good day. Mike, you're
3: having a good day. I... And although Eric's not recording with us, he's having a good day.
2: Yeah, but I I have mixed feelings about that and we'll get to it. Um, All right. So this, of course, is our episode when we talk about Rome. All right. There's a lot that's gone on uh, on the WTA and the ATP side. Of course, uh, we have our winners for the tournament and we'll get to that here shortly. Uh, But this is set one that we're going to start out uh, and – And that's going to be the news. But before we get to that, I'm going to make a couple of announcements here. So announcement time. All right. So the first announcement is that um, due to some time constraints issues, uh, we are going to be putting our deep dive series on hold for the time being. I don't know exactly when we're going to start this thing back up. Um, We're going to discuss that and and come to some kind of – an uh, agreement uh, as to when we might resume all of that, but uh, just because it's it's now summertime, we all have even more responsibilities than uh, before, and because it's summer, everybody wants to be outside. And we take play uh, take part in a tennis league, uh, which we're going to be starting up here soon. And then we also have the uh, ATP player, not the ATP, the uh, tennis addict player profile series that we're uh, still doing. Uh, plus, we have. You know all the episodes coming up here with the Grand Slams and whatnot. So it's making uh, our already tight window for recording much more difficult when it comes to trying to also fit in these deep dive series, which we love to do. But in order to do the uh, actual research and get the notes done and everything, it's just it's too difficult right now. So for the time being, that's going to be on hold. But we will continue to do the player profile series. Um, And on that front, Again, because of time constraints, we actually missed a month this, uh, this past uh, April. Uh, an episode was supposed to be out. Unfortunately, we could not get it out. And uh, because of that, I, I do apologize. I'd like to get this stuff out on time, but we just could not get the episode recorded. So unfortunately, that episode does not exist. We're, we're jumping ahead a month so to this month, May. So the episodes for this month will be out here towards the end of the month. Uh, We will have those done. So by the time May is over, both of our Player Profile episodes will be done and posted. And they will be posted for free. You guys will continue to get these episodes uh, through June. Um, It's my fault for not getting these episodes on time. So therefore, I'm extending the free episodes for the Player Profile series through June. And then after that, they will be Patreon only. So if you want them afterwards, you're going to have to subscribe to Patreon to get them. But for now, they will continue to be free. All right. So I think that is everything for uh, – oh, actually, no. There is one more announcement. Michael, uh, why don't you tell them about the uh, the idea that we have for pairing off week off uh, – we, one week on, one week off for doing the um, – uh, co-hosting the episodes.
3: So, yes. Yeah, so, um, obviously, I'm sure that all of you have, you know, noticed, uh, over time that, um, it, it's become much more infrequent that all three of us have been on the podcast every week. Um, it, yeah, with Eric and I both having families, um, that has made that extremely difficult to do for all three of us to kind of line up all at the same time. Um, especially on Sundays, which is normally when we would do our uh, recordings for all three of us. Um, and with the good weather, with, with spring and summer and, and fall all coming where, you know, it's nice weather where we live. Um, you know, again, as Mike said before, families, um, you know, we, we like to get out, we do things more, and it's become much more difficult for all of us to be together. So, um, one of the ideas that we've been throwing around, um, is the idea that um, Mike for the most part is able to, you know, he's the one that's kind of running the show so he's kind of the, the mainstay as far as doing recordings each week uh, as far as Eric and I go uh, something that him and I have been throwing around is the idea of pairing off each week um, so let, let's just say for example if we did start this up next week I'm recording with Mike this week uh, more than likely Eric will record with Mike next week Uh, And then so on and so forth. Um, As far as the Grand Slams go, our intention is that still we'll try to get all three of us for the Grand Slams. uh, Just because there's a lot more going on. Uh, There's a lot more opinions to be had when the Grand Slams happen. And usually a lot more to talk about. Um, And we obviously all want to be able to contribute to that. If we could, we would all be on here every week with giving you ten episodes a week, if we could. Uh, but that's just not logical. We can't do that. Um, so that's something that we're throwing out there. Um, if by all means, if, if fans have any suggestions as the things that they hear from us and they have any ideas, we'll even take a look at those. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, we just want to make it the best podcast possible. Uh, but we want to make that as consistent for you guys, the listeners as possible each week. Um, so this is something that you, you may see uh, and we'll talk about when it does come to fruition exactly what we're going to be doing. Um, but you'll still hear from all of us. You just might not hear from all of us every single week.
2: Yeah. OK. That's fine. We'll uh, we'll work that out and then maybe by next week we'll make an official announcement. But that's kind of something that we wanted to throw out there to let you know that this could be coming down the pike because uh, it does happen. Uh, and our So you have to understand one thing is that I work different hours. Uh, I work on the weekend. So if I was off on the weekend, for instance, we could record these things earlier in the morning on Sundays and it would also make the recording a little easier just for everybody to get on and and get these things done, these episodes done. But uh, because I don't get back until in the afternoon, you know, things happen and uh, people have uh, priorities and families and things like that. So even uh, trying to reshuffle all that, it can be difficult. So – Uh, We'll figure it out and we'll get back to you. But this is an episode for tennis, so we're going to jump into that. And we'll start out with set one in the news. So uh, first things first, a groin tear has Juan Martin Del Potro in doubt for Roland Garros. So I didn't actually know that he had torn his groin, but apparently a groin muscle was torn. And uh, he's going to immediately start uh, rehab in the hopes that he can play Roland Garros. Unfortunately, this does not look good, make it look good for the big fella in terms of his prospects there, which really stinks because, you know, he's played decently, uh, you know, for not having played any clay tennis until a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, now it's starting to look like he's not going to be a major factor at the French.
3: Yeah, I mean, after Indian Wells in Miami, um, you could tell he was mentally and physically completely spent. Um, after after getting through both those, we have to remember this guy's still not used to going out there and playing every week. Mm -mm. I mean he's he's still running somewhat of a limited schedule, even though he is, you know, back on tour now. Uh we have to remember, you know, we for the better part of what, three, four years, we really if he played more than a couple tournaments, that was a lot for him. Yeah. Uh for several years. So the fact that last year he played I don't know, I would want to say roughly a half to three quarter schedule. Last year, maybe. Um, I would say we're going to see about a three-quarter schedule again this year out of him. But we're not going to see him every single week. We're just not going to do that. I mean, we don't see any of the top guys every week. Um, But the fact is, yeah, I I saw the match uh, against GoFan. Uh, He came out. He definitely did did not look at his best. GoFan was playing extremely well right out of the gate. Um, And in the the second set, um, it was... I want to say halfway to the mid, you know, midway to into the latter part of the second set. Uh, Del Potro was actually up in the set, but he uh, he basically he came up limping really bad. He you you see he couldn't move. He went into the locker room with the trainer. Um, I saw in the highlights of it that they you know they took him right into the you know into the back. They took him off court completely. Um, He looked like he was in quite a bit of pain. Uh, he came back out on court and he, he gave it a go for a couple of points to a game and and then he called it. Uh, he he went to the charity. I, I just can't move. Uh, it was too too much pain for him. Um, and obviously for a guy of his size, movement's not obviously his best thing. Uh, obviously for his size, he moves very well. But the fact is, for somebody of his size, if you can't move, there's no point in being out there at all. Um, you know, there's, there's just no point and. Uh I, I agree for you although he's not one of the favorites at the French Open he's got the kind of firepower that he can go out there and it doesn't matter. Um so I agree with you Mike that's that's a big deal especially because you know he would be going in you know seated as probably one of the top 5 or 6 guys going into the tournament so you know that that's a big deal for him. Uh he obviously could have he he could have still made a good run there. Um I'll be honest I I don't look for him to play the French now.
2: I, no, I really don't I agree.
3: Uh, whether he's healthy or not, I honestly don't think – he. I, I, I see him taking the time off and getting ready for the grass court season.
2: I agree. Well, I mean that's his game uh, can translate very well to grass. So I think that's definitely something that he might consider doing. In fact, I think you're right. It's probably likely uh, you don't want to go out there and injure your groin muscle even further and all of a sudden, not only are you out for the French Open, but you're out for Wimbledon and possibly the US Open where he has uh, – you know, quite a few points to defend making the semifinals last year.
3: All I, right. I'm thinking is, is it normally the, the Jerry Weber Open that he usually plays on the I, grass court season I, or is it
2: in Queens that he usually plays? I'm not entirely sure. I don't I, I want to
3: say it's the Jerry Weber Open. I could be wrong but I, my speculation is we won't see him again until then. At least.
2: Uh, and if he's not healed up then we
3: don't see him until Wimbledon.
2: Well I think that's, yeah, that's probably likely I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, And yes, it is the Jerry Weber Open. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move on to the next uh, bit of business here. Stan Wawrinka took a wild card into Geneva while David Goffin and Denis Shapovalov withdrew. Uh, Not surprising considering how well Goffin and Shapovalov have played on clay thus far. I think they probably – I think both
3: guys are tired. They're tired. At this point, point. especially Shapovalov and – as far as GoFan goes, I still don't think he's 100% with the eye thing that happened. I, I think that he's still kind of playing back into form, although he looked much better this week um, as opposed to you know what he has the last few weeks after coming off the eye injury uh, where he got struck with the ball. But I, I honestly think that um, kind of in a way, Gofan's kind of peaking at the right time. I think he's getting into form at the right time, uh, obviously – We've got a week until Roland Garros starts, and I think for him taking the time off and for Shapovalov, you're right. The results have been amazing uh, over the last few weeks, very unexpected in my eyes. I agree, Um, Yeah. I think you would agree there, but uh, I, I think that for him, it's just it's resting to get ready. Um, obviously, he's played well enough that he's you know he's definitely going to get direct entry. He's not going to have to get any wild cards or, or or have to qualify or anything like that. He's in no danger there. I don't think he'll be seated. I don't think he's that high yet. No. Um, but but the point is like like he'll he'll be able to get direct entry in. Uh, and as far as Stan goes, let's say with Stan, he he's. Still looking. He's still looking.
2: It, this, this is a desperation move. And it's it's um, one because he doesn't have any matches under his belt. Not really. Uh, no. He has to get out there and play something. He has to try because he's he has a finals appearance to defend point-wise. He has 1,200 points. To def- right, is that right? Twelve hundred points yeah. if you make it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he 1200 has twelve
3: hundred for f- reaching the final, and
2: not winning. Correct. Right. So he has twelve hundred points to defend. That's not a small sum. I mean, that's over a Masters one thousand win worth of points. So, you know, if he were to drop uh, out of the French Open or get ousted early, he would drop down in the rankings a decent amount. I don't know exactly how many spots he would drop, but he would drop enough and. So he has to go out there and and try and get a warm up. And the competition in Geneva, it's not going to be too bad. He should be able to uh, win that tournament if he is is fresh and he's healthy. If his his uh, knees are fine and it's not, uh, it's just going to be an issue of knocking the rust off. And so you well has I'll put it to, to you this that. way,
3: Mike. I, I just did the research here. Um, <laughs> While well, Rinka is qu- currently twenty third in the rankings. If he does not get any points at all from Geneva, and if he does not get anywhere in the French Open, uh, he will drop well outside the top 100. Wow. Well outside. Okay. Um, he currently is standing at 1,685 points. He drops 1,200. He's at 485 points.
2: Right. There you after go. After the French. There you so go. we're
3: talking he's not even getting direct entry into Wimbledon at that point. Exactly. See? Which is kind of <laughs> scary. A scary thought. But uh, I agree with you. He's, he's got to scrounge for some points right now. Otherwise, um, yeah, he's looking at uh, yeah he's looking at quite a bit. And actually, um, he's actually dropping ninety points this week off of that already. So he's already below sixteen hundred come Monday. Uh, so there, you're talking below four hundred points that he'll have if he go doesn't go to the French and do anything. Uh, so yeah, that's. That, that's a that's a scary thought from a guy who at one point in time was basically he um, was guaranteed second week and deep into the tournament and a factor to win it for for quite a while
2: correct see yep exactly yeah
3: I mean that's a that's a that's a, a crazy showing uh, just a crazy thought process there and um, I actually did look Shapovalov is 29th right now and that's not including his results um from this week. Did he play in Rome? Yeah, he played in Rome, didn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah, he played in Nadal.
3: That's right, that's right, he played in Nadal. So that's in addition to his Rome points that he'll get on top of that. So Shapovalov will be seeded at Roland Garros.
2: There you go. All right. There you go. (laughs) Let's move on here. We have uh, Milos Ronic has withdrawn from Roland Garros with a knee injury. So the big fella, uh, it just seems to be... It seems to be, in a way, to a certain extent, uh, Juan Martín Del Potro all over again. He just cannot stay healthy. In a guy his size, though, carrying as much weight as he does, this is going to happen. But you know, if you look at Raonic, this could be something that he has dealt with his entire life, I guess, uh, on the tennis court. But yeah, whereas Juan Martín, his lower body is so powerful and so thick. You look at at Raonic and he does not have that that same you know lower body strength and just the just the base. His base is not like Del Potro's base is, um, no, which obviously no. allows Del Potro to move as well as he does. That's why he's so quick around the court um, because he has such strong lower body. Uh, Raonic doesn't, and I think carrying all that weight it puts such a strain on his body and on his ankles and his knees, and this tends to be what happens he gets injured and i think the lower extremities he's now in his mid 20s and so i think the wear and tear it just it seems to be taking its to on him he just cannot stay healthy he cannot stay healthy for more than a few weeks at a time and you know he's missing tournaments once again
3: um and you're talking about that we're talking about rankings here recently Uh, roundness will drop 180 this week and he, with him not going to the French Open, he'll drop an additional 180. With that, he will not be seated at Wimbledon. Right. One of the most dangerous guys on the surface and he will not be seated at Wimbledon. That's if he's even healthy for Wimbledon. So that's an interesting thought process for anybody that Rounich would not be seated at Wimbledon.
0: That's being scary. One of
3: the best grass court players in the world. It's a, It's a scary thought. And that it will be a dangerous floater if he's healthy by then.
2: Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's uh, move on to the women. So Carolina Pliskova gets fined in the four figures. Uh, the exact amount was not stated, but uh, the four figures was uh, put out on Twitter, I believe, by her team. That's uh, so what she was yes. fined for causing damage to the umpire's chair at the end of her match. Mike, uh, did you watch
3: this? Did you see this Yes, happening?
2: I did. I did see the match. Wow. and I saw the moment, and that's, <laughs> that's something that—that's wow. something we're going to get to um, in our th- in our third set. We're going to actually talk about this because it brings up a, a well very... the, the
3: the reason for the bashing of the umpire's chair.
2: The reason for the bashing, of course, was because there was a line call. Uh, if you look at the replay, the call was in. Um, I mean, yeah, there is no doubt about it. Clearly,
3: was in, was clearly well in, in.
2: and uh, to set the stage for this, this was late in the third set. It was, I believe, Deuce. um, At that point, had she won that point, she would have had advantage on her serve. And you never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, she still could have lost her serve there, but you know, she was one point away from holding, going up, I believe, six five. And, uh, you know, then who knows what happens? Maybe she breaks and she wins the, the match uh, or maybe they go to a tiebreaker and then, you know, who knows what the outcome is there. But the point is ultimately she had an overhead smash. The smash was closer to the line than it ever should have been. But the fact is it was in replay um, – video replay shows clearly that it was in. It was called uh, out and she appealed and unfortunately because nobody could spot the mark – Nobody could say where the ball actually hit. Uh, they had to leave the call, the call to stand basically. And um, she you ended know, up losing seven five in the third. She lost. She lost serve, uh, and then she um, Sakari, her opponent, ended up uh, holding serve to win the match. So one of the uh, earliest exits for Plushkiva in a very long time. Right. And uh yeah, I want to talk about this. This is gonna be a big talking point here in the podcast, and we're gonna get yes. to that in the third set. So I don't want to go too much into it, but yes, that definitely happened. Uh next uh point here. Three time Grand Slam doubles champs, Alina's Alina's Bezina, and uh Ekaterina Makarova have split despite being only a few wins away from number one. Had they actually entered this tournament and you know, I don't know exactly. It was two or three wins. They would have uh, been number one in the world. They had and just, they just won in Madrid. Yeah, they had just won Madrid, and uh, they split up. And so we don't know the reasons for the split. I
3: was going to say, have you read into that at all? I I have not. Heard I any couldn't find anything
2: reasons. specifically. I I don't know. It's weird. It's weird when they they seem to be playing well enough because they just won Madrid. So it's not like the chemistry on court is is terrible. Um. And usually when you win, it tends to make you want to stay together as opposed to split up. But Viznina will now compete at Roland Garros with Yelena Ostapenko in the doubles department. So uh, who Makarova is going to team up with, I'm not sure. I didn't see anything that said who she was going to team up with. But uh, the point is, it's weird. Uh, A team, this – I mean, they won three Grand Slam titles. They've been together for a while and – they just they just split up. It's it's a weird thing. Obviously, something went on behind the scenes. Uh, otherwise, you know, they'd still be together. We just don't know what it is. So, um, until something comes out, I don't want to speculate because there's nothing for me to speculate on. They just maybe there was a disagreement. Who knows? Uh, something happened, and they decided to part ways. One of them or both of them. So yeah, it, I mean, it's from a shame. What I read
3: too. Yeah, there's it's there's nothing coming out, and neither neither camp has said anything. Um, the only thing um, I, don't, I don't think that you were going to notate to uh, – or that you were going to notate to that uh, at least officially, uh, just out of the blue, both of them pulled out from Rome and both have actually changed their entries in the French Open doubles. Um, the notes that you have here and what I've read previously is that uh, Yelena Ostapenko confirmed that Vesnina asked her to be her partner mm-hmm. at the French Open. They have officially entered as a pair. Um, with Ostapenko saying that she was extremely surprised when she was asked, but surprised in a good way, um, because obviously she believes that, hey, we do remember that that Ostapenko is the reigning French Open champion, which honestly I, nobody's talking about. But yeah. the fact is, uh, she is the reigning French Open champion in singles, uh, mixed with uh, Vesnina, who
2: is one of the best doubles players in the world. Yep, yep. We'll see what happens there. Interesting pair. But um, Viznina must feel that Ostapenko has the weapons and the the net game to possibly be a winning pair. So we'll find out how that goes. Um, Absolutely. All right. So let's move on to set two. This is going to be our room review. Um, So let's uh, start out on the ATP side. So notable storylines um, for this week. What happened? Well, uh, first and foremost, Novak Djokovic makes a semifinal run in Rome, stringing together I think his best week of tennis since Roland Garros last year um, or you basically, could also pick Rome. I would agree so, basically. Uh, yeah, or Rome last year even if you want to pick that too because you remember he did make the final against Zaverov uh, who was the defending champion. Um, and, and Zverev won in straight, I believe, straight sets, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. Um, correct. Yeah. I think he won straight. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, Novak has, has been really struggling this year, um, with his health and with confidence and just general match play, getting matches under his belt, trying to find some kind of rhythm. Uh, and he did that. He, he had a really good match against Nadal. Um, it was a very tight two-set match, uh, straight sets match. Um, it went to a tiebreaker in the first, and then uh, Nadal got a break early. Had a mammoth game, I believe it was the – I'm trying to think which one that was. Uh, I think it was the 10th the game, I believe. Uh, the eighth – no, the ninth or the 10th game of the second set. It was this just back-and-forth seesaw battle on Nadal's serve. Um, it was like a 10-minute game. And, it was um yeah. I, I
3: did watch the majority of the match um
2: again I completely agree with you best
3: match and best string of uh, of runs in fact to be honest Mike I I don't know if you would agree with me or not I honestly felt like that first set uh between Novak and Nadal um it felt like a the norm for them
2: mm-hmm. yeah
3: which I don't think any of us would have well correct me if I'm wrong they
2: met up a little while
3: back and Nadal destroyed him
2: that was. I believe. I want to say that was last year. That was. It could um, be,
3: but but I mean that was the last meeting. It w- wasn't even a match.
2: No, I um, want to say it was at Monte Carlo. I this, think. Yeah, yeah. This
3: this was much more of a match. Now, obviously, after Nadal won that first set in a very tight, close, uh, back and forth set, um, you know, Nadal kind of ran away with the second. But I think you and I would both agree that Novak's still not back to the norm yet. But I think there's signs, obviously, making the semifinals in Rome at all is a big bump for him, confidence-wise. I think to even get that far, um, because we've seen him lose two guys that he really has no business losing to quite often. Uh, But honestly, uh, I felt like this week he he really strung together his match. He problem-solved very well, Um, and I think he's as close now to being back to the Novak Djokovic that we know – as he ever has been since you know, his um, lack of form, I guess is the way I'll put it. Um, but I think this is – I agree with you. This is the best that we've seen him. Um, and to be honest, if he's building a pawn from this week, may, maybe a spoiler at Roland Garros possibly. Possibly. I don't you necessarily know- want to say he's going to win it, but I definitely think that if he can string that together for you know a couple sets – he could he could definitely take out a favorite pretty easily, you know. One of the top guys that have a, has a chance if he ends up in their draw. I, I think it's possible. We if, know that Novak likes to play on the big stage. Um, that's something that you you've been very vocal about over the years. Sure, um, but he does like that's to be
2: he likes to be the 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 big guy um, on the big center stage. of attention. But I will say this: um, you know, it's possible. Look, uh, we can't discount the fact that out of all of uh, definitely, all the clay court tournaments. Uh, I, even Roland Garros. I think Rome is the best place for Djokovic. It's he's had the most. I believe the most Masters one thousand clay wins in his career. I think came at Rome. I think he's won that three times. Uh, but I think he's just beaten
3: the, the doll in all those Rome. He's correct?
2: he's beaten Nadal uh, to win titles there. Um But you have to remember something too.
3: I do have to ask a question of you. Go go ahead though. Well, I was just going to say,
2: you know, I think part of the reason why he played so well this week is because he is so comfortable there. I think the That's crowd, true. the crowd treats him better there than than any clay court crowd, uh even you know the French Open crowd. Uh, Rome is 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 about as close to home on clay as Novak is ever going to get, and so I think he goes into that tournament feeling like a fish in water to a certain extent. And uh, I think that can't be discounted when it comes to, at least in part to his performance this week, he felt like the crowd was on his side. The crowd was engaged with him and it allowed him to get pumped up in a way he hasn't been able to get pumped up in quite some time. So, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't earn everything he did this week because he certainly did, but I do, I do think, you know, let's caution a little bit here because mm-hmm. having a couple of good matches doesn't make you suddenly go into the French open and, um, as as someone who you should feel is favored to win or even, I think, in the first tier. I think um, – No, 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 no. no, 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 no. I wasn't saying like that. that. OK.
3: No, no. What I mean is because he's probably going to be sitting, what, somewhere around 10-ish in the rankings when he goes to Roland Garros. What he I'm lo- I'm saying well, he lost is-
2: points from – he lost points because he made the the final. Uh, last right, year.
3: but what I'm saying is he's going to be that that probably 10, 12 range, somewhere in there we we'll That say. seed, yeah. So my point is he could be anywhere. Oh, yeah. Really, he he could be in any quarter with anybody. He
2: could be easily he, a very early He's in a round.
3: position in the rankings that he could be a spoiler is what I'm saying. Clearly. Not saying he's going to win. I, yeah. In fact, I, I, I would put no money down that he would win the tournament because no I way. don't think that that would happen. I don't think he legitimately is, is in a position to say that he would be able to win Roland Garros, mm-hmm. not, not even remotely in that in that conversation. But I think he's in a position where if the first couple rounds go well for him and he's playing well, when he gets to that, we'll say, third, fourth round, if he's still there – He could then be meeting up with one of the top-ranked guys and it could be a spoiler is all I'm saying. It's possible, certainly. Um, Um, Before we do move on, I I do have a quick question for you, Mike. So um, with Rome being arguably the closest surface to Roland Garros, why is it one of the tournaments that um, seemingly has been a little bit more difficult for Nadal to win at? Not saying that he hasn't because he's won it there. This is the eighth time, correct? Yeah. But my point is he, he's had a lot of losses in Rome. Um, is, the, is it strictly injury-based? But my uh, thought is if this is the closest one to Roland Garros, why has he not won every year pretty much?
2: That he's been there.
3: Well, uh, I think it's is a, it more or less injury based? I the, would think that that would be the case. I think case, it's a 2 answer. I know answer. that you know much better than I do.
2: I think it's a two-fold answer here. I think there's two factors that go into him not winning this, you know, event eleven, twelve times or something, as opposed to now eight. Right. Uh, I think there's two things. One, Monte Carlo, he's won what, uh, 11 times now. Yeah, Um,
3: that is his match.
2: Because first off, you have to remember something. Uh, The second closest to, I think, the French Open is probably Monte Carlo. And that's the first clay court tournament. And so everyone is just trying to find their clay feet when they get to Monte Carlo. Whereas
3: he doesn't have to do that, really.
2: He adapts quicker than other people in the way that Roger adapts quicker to grass. So where right. everyone else is trying to figure out their their crap their gla- yeah grass their their uh, grass game. Um, he's already found it, so um, that's one thing. And then by the time you get to Rome, even though that's the most French Open-like of the surfaces, it is the
3: last tournament. It is before. the last
2: tournament, which means if, he's, or a major played, tournament, he's, I if he's played his regular schedule, he's played a lot of clay court tournaments. He's probably a little tired. The French Open's rolling around. Um, he's trying to. He just he wants to be in good form. Winning the tournament's great, but I think it's less of a priority as long as he's played well up to that point. And given okay. the fact that he's won Monte Carlo, Barcelona, um, you know he lost in Madrid. Fine, but Madrid is the least, you know, uh, clay-like surface uh, as compared to the French Open. Given the especially altitude, especially with
3: the blue clay experiment.
2: Yeah, the blue clay experiment <laughs> travesty. Um, yeah, but I think that's just why. I think that okay. uh, you know, and by that point, other players have, have started to to find their clay game, and people are much more um, comfortable on the surface at this point, and so they mm-hmm. can give him more of a game. I mean, look at look at Alexander Zverev at Davis Cup, and now True. look at him at where he stands now, right? I mean, the the guy was a few games away from having won. His third clay court tournament in three weeks, and that include that would have included two Masters, one thousand clay tournaments. That is True. going into the French Open, so you're looking at um, to be somebody... honest, that would
3: put him right on par with Nadal.
2: Exactly. So, yeah. Uh but that's it. That's that's probably why.
3: So. Okay. I mean, I I brought that up. I thought that was a nice insight that I thought that the fans, especially Nadal fans, might like an explanation on, or even the, the you know the not Nadal fan. Um, being that, you know, it is so close to Roland Garros, I thought that might be a nice insight to
2: throw in there. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, do the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, next point here, because we're, we're still, we still have a way to get here. Uh, yes. Alexander Zverev is starting to look like possibly the unstoppable juggernaut. He could be after, as I just alluded to, you know, three very strong weeks in a row of tennis that has left him. With two clay court titles, that includes Madrid last week, and one finals appearance um, that almost resulted in another win, which we'll get to here very shortly. And then the Um, other one was the BMW Open, correct? I believe yes, in Germany. So you're looking at, you know, uh, okay, a smaller tournament. Fine, he found his winning ways, Mm -hmm. and uh, that led to Madrid, and he won that there. Now, I'll be honest; I was a little surprised that he managed to get to the final, but uh, I will say this: if and you've, you've been very critical of I have been Zaveriff, very critical
3: of Zavera. But, but um, we have I to remember – I actually thought about this a little bit yeah. this afternoon, which I have a nice little uh, continuation to my <laughs> okay. critiquing.
2: All right. So so here's my look at at, at um, And not even getting to the final talk yet, but I think that we have to remember something. We're spoiled. This generation is spoiled. We have been witness to – I think personally, the greatest generation um, tennis-wise that we've ever seen, and I'm not saying that because it's the generation that I'm currently watching. Um, I'm, I'm it's very, this very much. Because
3: generation has won almost every slam. Right, I'm
2: very in much aware guys, so. of <laughs> the great, the great decades and great generations of tennis in the past, from the '60s with uh, all the greats like Laver and Rosewall and all that, through the '70s, and obviously you have all-time greats there. But the point is, as you go through the decades and through the generations, there has been some fantastic, unbelievable players, but no generation has ever dominated like this. And there's never been more of a wide variety of players from across the world as there is now. And the fact remains though, that when we look at where we're currently at, Alexander Zverev is somebody who... Until very recently, it's been easy to be critical of because he hasn't been able to show up to the biggest stages and that being the Grand Slams. Um, and, uh, but I think we have to remember something. We are spoiled, right? He's 21 years old. Nadal started winning Grand Slams before he was 20. He was 19 years old. Just turned 19 when his first French Open. Federer was a late bloomer, as they say, at 23 years old. I believe, yes. when he won his first Wimbledon. So we kind of forget that. You know, Federer was, you know, by all accounts, supposedly a late bloomer and look where he's at. Djokovic has been winning Grand Slam since he was, I believe, 20 years old. Um, yes. So we, we we look at these, someone like Zverev and we think, well, come on, dude, win a slam. Show us that you're actually as good as everyone says you are. But we, we forget he's a young guy. He's taking steps. He's getting there. It doesn't happen overnight.
3: I have so, an answer for your reasoning behind that. Okay, go ahead. So I was thinking about this after the tournament happened. Um, we watched the final. Uh, you, me, and Eric all talked about the final mm-hmm. a little bit as it was happening. We were all discussing it. Yeah. Um, something came across to me uh, after the rain delay that took place, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, I sat and thought about it, and I said, I said to all of you that that coming out of this rain delay that is all on Nadal to decide what happens. Cause I said that I felt this would affect Zverev more than it would Nadal. Correct. Yes. Okay. And I sat and thought about it and I said, well, why is that? Zverev has won big titles now. Um, he has shown promise. He has shown the ability to win the big match. Um, not on the grand slam stage yet, but on the master series stage. Um, he's had success and everything else. And I said, well, why is that? Well, your statement that you just made about this generation is the reason why. We've talked about the young guns coming up and starting to make impacts here and there, right? Mm -hmm. The real reason why they haven't is because every single opportunity that these young guys have had to play that big match on that big stage – the door has been slammed in their face as fast as it opened by this generation's greats. That is why. Every opportunity that these young guys have had on the big stage to show up and all of us as tennis fans and the media and everybody go, this is the instance. This young guy's coming up. He's playing great. This is the instance. And as soon as they take the court, these greats shut the door in their face and send them packing home. Where can they mentally grow from that?
2: I think it's just resiliency. Well, but not all of
3: them have it. And that's what I'm meaning. Zverev has shown that he does have that resiliency. He's still showing up each week and he's coming back to that door multiple times now. We've seen that uh, he's able to shake off that horrible loss – Or that disappointing loss. I'm gonna be honest. I think today's is really gonna bother him for a little bit. I hope it doesn't lead on into Roland Garros and cause any you know uh, negativity to stay in his mind. But the fact is, um, my view and my process in that is the young guys, Zverev included, any time that they've stepped up to the forefront and been ready to have you know their moment or take take that position. Those all time greats, whether it's Nadal in this instance, Federer, Djokovic, Murray, others, you know, Stan, we can throw into that uh, category. They've stopped those young guys from getting to that next step repeatedly, not just once, not just twice, in some cases, many, many times. My point that I'm making is um, I've been very critical of Zverev and a lot of the other young guys, but I've sat back and I've thought about it. We, it is a maturation uh, process. You've said that many times. Uh, you've said the resiliency point. And I think it's – we need to realize that for this young group right now, that stage at which they're getting to those points is slowed greatly because of what they're going against. When we say that they're ready, when we say that Zverev's ready, he is ready. But the fact is it's taking him a lot longer than – We'll say like Nadal at 19 or Djokovic at 20 or even some of the other greats before them that, you know, were winning when, you know, in their early twenties. The reason being is because Zverev is going against quite possibly the greatest challenge in tennis history of breaking through these guys. And it's taking him a lot longer to get to that point because he hasn't been building in the normal way that most generations do. Does that make sense, Mike? Yeah, it makes sense. I get get what you're saying. I feel like for him, Kyrgios, other guys that have shown the talent and shown the ability to do it, they mentally can't get there because they're having so many setbacks against these top guys repeatedly week after week. Whereas you, you know, you take something into the match and you go, all right, if I can do this one thing really good this week, I have a chance. And then the match is over. They've won five games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those kind of instances. That's where I'm looking at, um, and it's just taking them a lot longer. I think at this point in time, I I'm starting to switch sides and agree with you a little more that Zverev is the heir apparent. He really is. It's just taking him a lot longer, not just because of his age. In fact, if not for this generation, I think we would have seen multiple slam wins out of him already. Most likely. I mean, um, it's just taking yeah. him a lot longer to mentally, not just physically, but mentally mature to that point where he's ready to go, you know what? I deserve to be here and I'm good enough to beat you guys and truly, truly believe it week in and week out. And I think he's finally starting to get to that point. We've seen him repeatedly challenge the top guys now and not at a grand slam yet, but I think it's there. I think it's there and as long as he can mentally stay tough in a slam, I, I think it's possible now. I think he's there now. Yeah. But that that's my outlook of what I was thinking as to why it's taken so long uh, for him because we've seen what he can do. We know he can do it. But why hasn't he? That's why. Yeah. No, Sorry, I know that was I'm a little right. drawn out, but I, I wanted to get the story
2: across to there. Um, and I think that you, you got the reasoning behind that. Okay. All right. Let's move on here uh, finally because it's taken us a while to get here. We do a it, it, it has, been, expansive. But there's been some good discussion here. Uh, all right. Path to the final here. So I want to list the guys that Nadal has taken out and the guys that Alexander Zverev took out in order to get to the final. So Nadal took out uh Demir uh in the uh round of 32. Uh, and then after that, he took out Denis Shapovalov who um, has been looking much better on clay than I thought he would at this point, honestly. Surprising. Absolutely. And then there was a three-setter against Fabio Fanini, which Fabio, as everyone knows, is Fabio. I mean, he's like he's like curios. So we've said that before, but it's because you never know what you're really going to get. You're either going to get an inspired Fabio or you're going to get a Fabio that could care less as to whether or not he's actually playing tennis. Uh, In
3: normal circumstances, we saw both.
2: Yeah, in, in his, this in matchup, he, he played well. He played very well. In fact, um, we saw
3: the world beater yeah.
2: Fabio for a while. For a while, uh, but Nadal eventually wore him down enough, and uh, it resulted in a win. But it was a three-setter. It was, um, it was a good match. He, and he I, you know, Fabio is always somebody that is um, someone to be feared, especially when it comes to Nadal, because he knows how to play Nadal, and he uses his weapons, and he's got many of them. Uh,
3: and and he's good on all surfaces. Yeah, really. he
2: is. And Grass I'll tell you what. Grass
3: probably his least, but Hardcourt and, and, and Clay, he excels very well
2: on Yeah, it. If Fabio is one of those guys that if he could put forth that concentration uh, all the time, Fabio probably would have won Grand Slam titles because yes. the weapons he's got are scary. They are. Um uh, and then, of course, Nadal took out Novak Djokovic here in the semifinals. Of course, it was a tight match. We talked about it earlier, and that led to the final. Now, on Alexander's side, he took out Matteo Berenti, or I'm sorry, Berrettini, um, in the round of 32. A young upstart who has played very well in the clay court season. Yes, he has. So um, that was a good, uh, a good match, tighter I think than the score would indicate uh in the next round he took out Kyle Edmund again another very very tight uh it was a straight sets of victory but it was very tight um Edmund had his chances he really could have taken that match uh either in straight sets himself or taken it to a third but uh, could not do it David Goffin was uh, Goffin was a, a three setter like uh, the Fabio match on a dull side uh, Goffin uh had his chances as well he took it to a third set but uh Ultimately, Alexander just had too much firepower in the end. Agreed. And, and Marin Cilic. He, he, he wore
3: down GoFan in that match. Yeah,
2: yeah, he did. And Marin Chilich again, uh, like the Edmund match, a very, very tight two-set match. Um, that could have really gone either way.
3: Yeah, how about a 15-13 first-set tiebreak? Yeah,
2: that's uh, – that's uh, I, I it,
3: it was an impressive tiebreak to watch. It was indeed. Uh, I credit I – credit Zverev for keeping his nerve in that Mm. i was surprised there
2: yeah uh all right so that led to the final uh michael what was the score of of the final
3: so the final uh we ended up uh (laughs) very topsy-turvy uh 6-1 to nadal uh 6-1 to Zverev, and then 6-3 to nadal to win it um again i think that third set is a skewed as you and i talked about previously and, and we'll get into that um but Mike, um, your your initial thoughts on the match here? Um, what, what did Nadal do right, uh, and what did
2: Zverev do wrong? Um, <laughs> okay, I mean, God, you know, talking about this. I think match, you and I are very
3: much on the same line here, um, so that's why I figured I'll, I'll throw this to you first, and then I'll add in anything that I have. Uh,
2: okay, so Alexander Zverev and Nadal. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say what did Nadal, Nadal do and what did Alexander not do because. This match to me is a rain delay caused, in my opinion, at least in part, a different outcome. I, I agree. Because if you look at that first set, um, Nadal played very well. Um, he was played aggressive. He was aggressive, he was sharp. And Zverev, I think maybe maybe he's feeling it in the legs a little bit. I mean, it's three weeks in a row that he's been on court. Uh, at some point, your body's going to start feeling it. I don't care if you're 21 years old or you're 31 years old. Uh, your body can only handle so much, and he's been playing except for a couple of days between tournaments, pretty much nonstop. Um, but I think he was feeling it a little bit. And it took him a while to warm up, but Nadal took advantage. And before you know it, the set was over in like 20 – I want to say 22 minutes or something like that. The first set was was over. Second uh, second set, uh, Zverev started out with a hold and Nadal played a terrible – uh, service game himself. All of a sudden, he got broken and once that happened... The floodgates um, opened. Pretty much. Zavera uh, started to play much more aggressive. He started to take control of the rallies. He was being aggressive. He was taking... uh He was taking control of the rallies immediately and he was staying on the baseline um, more often than he was in the first set. It allowed him to get control of the rallies. Nadal was getting pushed around far more than he was ever in the first set and... Uh, it, I think know,
3: you would agree that led to a lot more forehand errors as well, Nadal. Yeah,
2: I mean, Nadal was kind making of, kind a lot. Kind of lo-
3: trying to hit from an un, I don't, I don't want to say it, uh, trying to hit forehands from an uncomfortable position at times.
2: He was, but he was making I very thought. standard errors too. I mean, Nadal was hitting forehand errors that were not under pressure. I mean, he was. No, no, no. I agree. Know, I agree. Uh, and he was getting a lot, hitting a lot of balls uh, short, which he has not been doing all, all uh, clay season so far. He's been. Very good for the most part. Well,
3: credit, credit to Zverev's power. Right. There.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and Nadal – so that gave short balls that Zverev could attack immediately and end not just the point but ultimately string a few of those together and you've got the game. Um, and then the third set was much more the same. I said Nadal has to hold serve to start out. He's got to take a lead in the set. He's got to put scoreboard pressure. I know it's early in the third. You
3: did. You told Eric you've and I
2: that. you got to be trailing – Zverev has to be trailing Nadal. And unfortunately, Nadal – was, it was a hard-fought first service game. Nadal lost that service game. Now, all of a sudden, Zverev held serve. He's up 2-0. And I started to think, things are looking pretty dire here because it didn't take long for the second set to uh, you know go haywire. Uh, yeah, Nadal, the ball
3: was still rolling downhill at that point. Yeah, yes, Nadal mm-hmm. was holding
2: serve. Uh, but then I think we got to 3-2. 3-2. 3-2, Zverev was getting ready to serve at 3-2. The, three two, the rain three two. really started to come down. They halted play. It had been coming down uh, for the Sporadically last- Sporadically yeah.
3: in the late part of the second set into the start of the third, but yeah.
2: not heavy. Hmm. But then it got much, uh, much heavier. They stopped play. Uh, they brought the guys back out on court after a few minutes and then all of a sudden they stopped play.
3: I was going to say they oh, only man. played what? One point maybe? I think, I think they played one point. Something like that. I think they played one point uh, and then, yeah, then they called – they called it again and it was what, about a 40-minute rain delay-ish?
2: Yeah, it was about Somewhere around
3: there. It was was lengthy.
2: Yeah, it was lengthy. They came out on court and and there's this photo. uh, I was uh, looking on The Guardian and there was a photo of Zavera. He was standing right on the outskirts of the tunnel and you could see the look on his face and they even noted like he looked – Sad, <laughs> he did. He looked sad. I mean, I think he knew he
3: had the towel wrapped around him.
2: Yeah, right? he had the towel wrapped around him. In in his look, he was concerned. I think he knew. Yeah, that he was had- that was
3: after they called him back out and they stopped play initially. Yep. Before then, they called it. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. That was when he was standing in the tunnel. Nadal was still out on the court, kind of trying to stay loose. And then the floodgates opened, and, and the rain really started.
2: Well, I think um, and the- I
3: agree with you. Zverev had a look on his face that was not very positive.
2: Well, I think all. it reminded me of a few years back whenever Nadal and Djokovic were playing at the French Open and Djokovic was uh, taking control of the match at that point and um, it was 2-1 sets to Nadal, the rain was pouring, Nadal finally was able to hold serve to stop I – I can't remember how many games that he gave up in a row. It was something like six or seven or eight games in a row. And um he held serve finally. They called the ma- they called it, they suspended it, came out the next day. It was an entirely different Nadal. It was hot. Uh the the court had dried up and Nadal Just what he wanted. ran away with the, the fourth set and broke Djokovic. To break back and then broke again. Ultimately, ran away with the set, I believe, and uh, won the French Open. And it reminded me of this, but in miniature, because uh, Zverev came out. I think he knew the momentum was gone. The momentum he had, and he knew Nadal was going to regroup. He was going to mm-hmm. go over the tactics in his head. He was going to come up with a plan, and that he wasn't going to face the same Nadal, and he wasn't going to have the same advantage as he had. You know,
3: no, because he had Nadal on the ropes.
2: He did. He had, he had Nadal pushed on the ropes. back. Yep.
3: Nadal was routinely trying to hit from 15 feet behind the baseline.
2: And Zverev I mean, was Zvera's just unloading. power was yep.
3: taking over every rally immediately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nadal couldn't get into Zverev's service games at all. Um, Nadal was struggling to hold yep. at times. Yep. It, nothing was positive on Nadal's side. Everything was on Zverev's side. And when the rain stopped, it might as well have been the great flood because – Everything was wiped clean. It yep. was as if as if they started a brand new match from scratch.
2: Yep. At and, that point. And the and doll so... came
3: out firing out of the gate. Exactly what I told you yep. was gonna happen. Yep. Um it, it's funny, tennis fans, if you could if we would read our conversations between the three of us, <laughs> um we literally painted a picture and, it exactly and then we watched happened. that picture, yep. picture get painted on TV. Mm-hmm. Exactly what we said was gonna happen happened. Um
2: go ahead, Mike. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, you know, that's just the way it, it happened. And, um, you know, Nadal took control of the rallies and, he, you know, he was much more forceful. He was trying to stand closer to the baseline, take the ball on the rise, um, start pulling Zverev off the court, ripping forehands down the line, ripping backhands down the line, through him, you know, basically making him run. You know, Nadal hits a backhand down the line. Zverev hits a cross court. Nadal hits a forehand down the line. And it just became this, um Zverev just trying to to more or less keep up. Nadal was um. You know, yeah, Nadal was, ran him
3: ragged yeah. in those last four games.
2: Yeah. So uh, you know, ultimately Nadal won this match. Uh he shouldn't apologize for it. Uh no. it's not his fault. Nope. Uh but at the same time, I feel a little uneasy uh because I don't feel to a certain extent that Nadal I hate to say didn't feel like he fully earned this because it, it makes it sound terrible. It's just that and I said this right after the match ended. If the rain delay did not happen, this match would be a different story, and I fully believe that. Now the match was still going on, and we don't know for sure what would happen. Hey, maybe late in the set, Zverev, you know, maybe he gets a little tight and he does. Yeah, that's possible. You know, he does uh, lose serve, and and who knows, you know. So I can't say that even without the rain delay, adult would have found some way to claw his way back and win this match. That's definitely possible. I just think, in my heart, I fully believe. That had the rain delay not happened, Zverev would have finished off that set fairly quickly and would have been, you know, winning his third Clay title in three weeks and his second Masters 1000 in two weeks and retaining his Rome title from last year. Uh, I fully believe that. I think Zverev believes that. And as much as Nadal must be absolutely thrilled that he won this match, there has to be some small part of Nadal deep down that knows full well that uh, had the rain not come, it probably, probably would not have ended for him as well as it did today.
3: Not without him putting forth a monumental
2: effort. Just yeah.
3: – yeah. I mean he he literally would have had to go into the biggest scramble defense we've seen out of him in forever and he would have had to come up with some amazing shots yeah. to claw back into this because Zverev had all the momentum. Everything was was on him. Literally at that point in time before the rain, not one point was dictated by Nadal. Whatever happened on Zverev's racket is what ended the point. If he hit an error, then Nadal won. But if not, Zverev probably was going to win the point in most instances, not all. But in most instances to the point where – N- Nadal, I think at that point, um, I think you had mentioned to me, he lo- he gave a look to his camp like – it was a very negative look. You yeah. and Eric both said it to me. There was a very negative body language look that he looked at at his camp like, I, I don't know. I, I think that he was a little bit at a loss as to what what to do to change the pattern. Um, and I, I think that was his frustration. that It wasn't necessarily negative like – You know, like you would normally see out of a player, but like negative in that, like I don't know what to do to change this. I I can't, I can't work out how to change this pattern right now. Yeah. And and admittedly, I I think you and I both agree there wasn't anything he could do to change the pattern right then and there.
2: Yeah. But the rain changed it. He was searching. (laughs) He was searching mid-match for something and something to try to
3: change Zavera's pattern, something that he could do to stop that pattern because. Literally every point was the same pattern, and I think you would agree after the rain, the the same thing happened, but on Nadal's side, it was the same pattern every point. He basically took Zverev corner to corner and ran him ragged for four games after the rain, and it was over. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't know. I don't know why it happened then, where it couldn't happen before. But it, I want to say it was just that Zverev. Zverev was in a groove where there was no, uh, um, no hesitation whereas afterwards nadal fired first i told you both it was first strike tennis is what needed to happen and the the rain delay was the flip-flop of that Zverev was first strike before and nadal was first strike after and that di- that dictated the match uh at the end um but Mike, what what do you see as the outlook? I, I honestly don't think that this match changes the outlook of the French Open at all in my eyes.
2: No, for either I think, player. I think it's I think Nadal is still I think the favorite. I know. Of course, of course. You know we have to remember something, and I mentioned this uh, to you guys uh, as we were talking about the matches that was going on. You know, today was a wet day. If this was a hot – a typical hot Roland Garros final day where the ball is going to bounce really high up in the air off of Nadal's uh, ground strokes, uh, similarly to the way that they did say at the Davis Cup match uh, between Nadal and Zverev. You know, maybe it's an entirely different match because the dynamic is is altered because the ball is going to be jumping up much higher, uh, which is is not going to be quite in the same uh, strike zone as normally for Zverev. And no, but so, we got to remember,
3: Zverev is a lot bigger.
2: Yes, he is as he, well. Yeah. So
3: that high ball doesn't affect him as much. Um, what what was the thing that I pointed out to you and Eric during the match about why Zverev has the chances to beat
2: Nadal? Because he has a great backhand. Got a great two-handed backhand.
3: Honestly, the guys that give him trouble, great two-handed backhand, with the exception of Roger, of course, and Stan. But those two have two of the greatest one-handed backhands in history. So (laughs) – Yeah. um, But my point is, of of all the players, if you don't have an amazing two-handed backhand, you're not going to probably beat him, especially on clay. You have to have a two-handed backhand to beat him on clay. Unless you're Stan, but that's just because you destroy the ball every time you swing it.
2: I digress. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I just I think the outlook is fine for both players. I think they they're they're both going to be the favorites. I think Nadal obviously number one. I think Tsitsipas clearly clearly number two right now. Um, if he gets knocked out, then you know there's probably a few other people. But we'll get to our our French Open uh, discussion next week. Um, yeah, I just think I think the outlooks both very very good for both players. I think that Nadal obviously is is you know, ten times uh, Roland Garros champion. That goes without saying. Zverev obviously has shown what he's made of on clay. So those are our guys to look forward to as number one and number two at French. I'll, I'll be
3: honest, Mike. I I, I kind of sit and think uh, again. I said I don't think that this is going to change anything outlook wise. I think both players had the run through the clay court season that they needed. Mm -hmm. For confidence-wise for Roland Garros, but um, in my honest opinion, I am curious if we see them in the final at Roland Garros, what happens. I know that Nadal is going to be very at home there, but my point is, as I said to you, stepping stones for Zverev. If he can get there, I'm just just throwing it out. If he can get there. Well, if he can get there, no. is is it time finally? He's knocked on the door with Nadal many times.
2: Is it time? Well, you know what? Maybe. But here's something you I'm have. Just,
3: I'm just throwing it out there. He's, okay. he, we know he has the capability. We've seen it. I But I know Roland Garros is a different animal. I know it's a different place. It is home for Nadal. I'm just saying if he can get there unscathed, I should say. If he can get there and he's fresh for the final. That's the big thing. If he's wore out getting to the final, if he somehow has to play a five-setter with team in the semis or something, not going to happen. He has no chance. But if he can get to the final unscathed, maybe.
2: Maybe, but you have to remember something. Beating Nadal Nadal in a best-of-three and beating him in a best-of-five are two entirely different things. Well, this is why I'm
3: saying he has to be fresh. If he has a a war of a semifinal – no chance. He you might as well just hand it over at that point. Yeah. But if he gets there fresh, that's gonna be the key. If he can get to the final fresh, I think he has a chance now. He I does. think he's he's played Nadal enough over this clay court season and seen him enough that I, I I think he understands what needs to be done. Now that's a big ask to do it. It's asking a lot, but I, I think that he mentally I think he's ready. It's just going to be the, the cards are going to have to fall in his favor. Um, yeah. okay. But let, let's, let's go ahead and head on to the women.
2: All right. So let's move on here. So, uh, storylines, things that happened this week. Well, you know, first off, Maria Sharapova had a good week. Uh, probably her best week, like Djokovic in some time where she actually seemed to string together some really good tennis. Uh, really took Halep deep into their match. Um, a couple yes, of Yes, and ago, if not
3: for her or, defensive capabilities, uh, yes, I think right. Halep loses that.
2: Yeah, she she played very, very well. Um, so that was great to see. Uh, Halep, having not really played all that well going into Rome on the clay this year. Um, Probably the worst she, clay court season she's had in a long time leading right. up to the French Open. Yep, I think so. And, and so she obviously made it to the final. And... Uh, Alina Svitolina. Now, I'm going to just kind of toot my own horn here a little bit because um, I mostly had the quarterfinals correct. Uh, I didn't have Sharapova facing Halep, but I did have Kontavit uh, against Svitolina on the other side. And I picked the to- right winners. Touche, toot yep, your horn, I Mike. picked the right winners and uh, I did actually have Svitolina defeating Halep in the final.
3: Um, so, I will toot my horn, although I did not get on the podcast last week. In my preparation before I pulled out the last minute of not being able to do it, I did have Svidolina winning. Oh. Didn't have her being halop but I did have Svitolina winning. Okay. You know I've been very high on Svitolina for a while.
2: Yeah, so have I. Um,
3: and I'm still and I'm still there. Yep. Uh, and let's let's go ahead and have our discussion. Okay. Though.
2: So yeah. path to the final. Uh Alina Svidolina uh, took out uh, Petra Marchik. In the first round, uh, or not the first round, the round of 32, uh, Daria Kasatkina in the round of 16, Angelique Kerber after that, a good win, Annette Kantavit in the semifinals uh, to get to the final, and then Simone Howe took out Naomi Osaka, uh, then Madison Keys. Uh, who retired in the, uh, her match yeah, against Yeah, that was a Simona walkover. Uh, a actually, walk you're right. You're right. It was just a walkover. And then Karol- walk Caroline Garcia and then Maria Sharapova in the semis. And then today, Alina Svitolina took out Simona Halep 6-0, 6-4. So, uh, Michael, what did Svitolina do to win this match? and What were your general thoughts regarding the final?
3: Well, um, similar – the men's final in a way in one aspect uh first strike tennis okay Svitolina is much like Zverev in that when she goes out there and she has positive body language and she goes with first strike tennis and she's offensive not many are going to beat her in my honest opinion okay not many uh she came out of the gate firing was very aggressive and Halep had no answer um the first set by extremely quickly, 6-0 to Svitolina. Um You, I think, were the one – or no, Eric had messaged us and said, wow, this is not going too well for, for Um No, just first strike tennis. Svitolina being very aggressive out of the gate um, and, and just taking it to Halop, and Halop not having an answer. Now, I will throw out there. And I, I think, I think she was you tired. will agree
2: with me. What's that? I think I think Halop is feeling it from the Sharapova match. I
0: think – You know, and,
3: and I, had I throw that out there. I, I, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. At least a little bit. I, in my honest opinion, would you agree with me that Halop really struggles when she has a long match to recover for a next match?
2: Yeah, I do. I think for that the number whenever one she's taken – player in the world, I feel like yeah. she
3: has the hardest time recouping for her next match. Of any player I've seen in a very long time. Well,
2: we have to remember something. Halep is pretty small. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know build that. Wise, I know that. Build-wise, she's I, I, strong. I but I think we kind of forget how small she is overall. But and she's I, so fit. I know she's so fit. So I don't but understand I her, that. I think her body breaks down easier. I think they have a harder time keeping her together. Considering how much tennis she does play, I think they do a, a fantastic job. I just think... You know, some people have an easier time recovering for the next match than the others do, and that's just based on genetics, at least in part. I mean, you could be amazingly fit, but someone else could be amazingly fit and have the genetics to just be, in general, fitter than you. You know, and I it's think true. That that's it's true. That's true, and we yeah. do have
3: to remember playing Sharapova. She's absorbing a lot of pace.
2: Yes, she is, and I think well,
3: for a very long time. That match a, took a pretty long match.
2: A lot. Now, out admittedly, of her. Sharapova's
3: yeah. match to get to Halop. I think was even tougher than the match that she had with Halep, But that's just my opinion. I think that that was the match of the tournament. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, yeah. Sharapova over Ostapenko, six seven six four seven five 7 6-4, to Sharapova. Um, that was a war. Please, anybody go out there and take a look at
2: that. That is blistering ground strokes.
3: Uh, that, is, that is the most power, and I'm even going to throw this out there. That's more power than seeing a Williams sister on the court. Yeah. At least one of them. Put yep. it that way.
2: But yeah, I agree. That,
3: that is one of the most paceful shots or, or matches you will see in a very long time. That is raw power on raw power on every point uh, for three hours-ish.
2: <laughs> yeah. Now, remember um, last year at Rome at the Italian Open, it was mm-hmm. the same matchup. It was Fedelina over Halep. It was a three-setter. And Halep actually won that first set, 6-4, and then Fedelina won it, 7-5, 6-1. Uh, to win the so she was actually holding on to her Rome title from last year. Yes, she uh, was. She but, did
3: defend her Rome title. That's but I correct.
2: think Svitolina is fitter than she's ever been. Um, I think that she has improved uh tremendously on her forehand. Uh, yes, I think, I think that, that was she's, one of the
3: biggest things in the match. She's her looking forehand good against Halep's. Mm-hmm. Halep's forehand was was terrible.
2: Yeah,
3: errors left and right. Um. On that side, and I think that was, again, due to Svitolina being as aggressive as she was, especially on the forehand side. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I think that was the biggest factors in the match. Um and In terms of the
2: outlook for is, both in, players? In terms of
3: the outlook, I, I mean, to be honest, I would have felt Svitolina was a one of the favorites going into the French. I don't see anybody being more of a favorite than her now.
2: Yeah, I think Um, that – As
3: fit as she is. She's good. uh, She did take uh, about a month off there with an injury, a small injury that she had there. I think it was an abdominal injury for a little while, I believe. I could be wrong. But um, I mean this win against Halep here now again, like you said, Halep did have a very tough match with with Sharapova. But uh, I don't know. I just think heads up right now, uh, I think heads up even on a level playing field, she beats Halep right now. Honestly, even at the French Open right now. um, I know we all said last year that that it's only a matter of time for Halep. It's only a matter of time for Halep. You know, I'm starting to get to the point now where I'm thinking it is only a matter of time, but is time starting to run out? Because now she's having other players that are starting to equal her level of effort. Mm -hmm. Remember, you said that she is small in stature, but her effort is what has gotten her to the point where even when she's been outgunned, Against a lot of the bigger hitters, her effort has pushed her through them. Now she's starting to meet up with players like Svitolina that are putting forth just that much effort and are, and have a little more firepower. So now I'm wondering if, if that if that she's getting to that point now where that time frame might be starting to dwindle. I know that she's pretty young still, obviously, but I'm wondering if that time frame has started to pass. We've said that she should have had several slams by now and hasn't. I think that you were, you agreed with me on that before. Yeah. Are you feeling that way at all?
2: Well, she turns 27 in September. So, so that's what I said. She's still relatively she's young. She's still relatively young. But my young, point but is
3: she think, has head injury issues. Yeah. She plays a very physical game, as you said. A lot of exertion every match. Even when she's winning easily, she's putting forth a lot of effort. Is, is it a possibility that, that now, like I said, she's starting to have other – we're not seeing it on the women's side the way that we are with the men. We're seeing those women creeping in now. The younger younger players are making impacts much more than on the men's side. Is it a simple case that that maybe this window is starting to close on her already?
2: Well, you never know when the window closes until it closes. That's the part. That's true. So uh, I think – I I think again. She's. I think that she's at a point. I'm wondering if it's
3: possibly starting to close on her now.
2: I think it's. She's at a point of her career where she's starting to doubt because I think it's getting harder to take these losses, and I think it's taken her a while to get over the Australian Open loss, really. And uh, I agree. Getting to a point here where I think if she doesn't win the French, if she doesn't win something this year, I think it's going to get harder on her mentally. And I know she's come a long way mentally with Cahill. Uh, she's been much more. If positive. not for Cahill,
3: I don't think she's even in these positions.
2: No, but I think because that-
3: mentally, I don't think she would have ever survived the losses that she's taken already
2: at this point. Yeah, but I think she's getting to a point where it's going to get harder. But she's got chances and we know how good she is. So we'll wait and see. You never know. Um, But I think the outlook is that Halep's got some work to do and I think Svitolina is certainly favored at this point to win. So, all right. Let's move on to our set three. This is our final set here. Uh, We're going to bring up a subject here, talk about it briefly. Um, Is it about time Hawkeye is implemented on clay? So we're going to return to the Carolina Pliskova, uh event that happened this past week. So after – this whole thing went down, Michael. I was thinking about this. You know, they've talked about Hawkeye being on clay. And of course the big thing for years has been, well, you know what? These balls make a mark mark. There really shouldn't be any issue here. We don't need Hawkeye. And I think for the Un- most part that's fine. I understand mm-hmm. that. I do agree. I mean, look, it it leaves a pretty clear mark and the umpires are good about knowing where the mark is and about Making the right call, and I've but, rarely. Uh, but
3: but but what about after I don't know six or seven games have been played.
2: Well, see, that's the thing. You know, we get to a point like this in the match where the linesman can't even tell you where the the mark is at, and neither can the umpire. So then you have what is clearly, clearly a a call that is wrong. The out the uh, the replay on video, it's in. Everybody looks at that, knows it's in. Carolina knows it's in. And some people might say, well, look, you know, hey, she's not like she, that was the the point that lost her – the the game and that's true. But, but it's
3: the principle.
2: It's the principle but it's also the fact is that some of these matches literally come down to a couple of points and this was one of them. And, yep. and look, it, the fact is at some point in time, we have to look at the possibility that while the clay system as it stands is fine, I do think in my opinion – that at the very least, Hawkeye should be implemented if for nothing else than being a challenge that can be used. If a player, despite what the official says, is, says, OK, I think – let's say the high umpire comes down and says, look, this mark here, I, I can see it. It's out. And the player says, you know what? No, 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 no. I think it's in. We. Need I think you. it's this mark. This, so Hawkeye, they use Hawkeye. Hawkeye confirms it's in. It's overruled. If you want to keep the system as is, fine. But I think it needs to be supplemented by Hawkeye because I feel like this situation here shows that while that system in general is fine, it's not perfect. And
3: no, you have
2: a, a situation here where everybody in the stadium, everybody at home, everybody, the, the players' box everybody
3: but the everybody but the umpire.
2: Yeah. At this point. And
3: and, and I'm not faulting the umpire and saying, oh my god, the umpire did a horrible job. No, the umpire did their job. This is just what they thought they saw. Yeah. And it's the simple fact that, as I said, the only way that I can see that they continue this way without Hawkeye, they have to change and they have to screen the court more often. Yeah. Much more often. Mm -hmm. Because correct me if I'm wrong, I believe at this point they're only doing it after each set.
2: Correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
3: Well, how many points are played in a set? A lot. How many balls are hit in a set? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) My point is, every time that ball hits, it's making a mark. Well, if you have a 20-shot rally, there's 20 times it's hit the court. Or or, or 10 times on one side, at least, you know, at, at that point. That's one point. So if you have 10 of those, well, there's 100 different marks now on the court on one side, on each side. The point is... If you're not going to scrub the cord up, if you're not going to screen it so that it's smooth back out and those marks are all gone, every couple games, to my, to be honest, I would say maybe on every changeover it needs to be done. In my opinion, oh, I if mean- it's not done on every changeover, then you're really running the risk of this happening repeatedly. And yeah. in this instance, we see, you know, obviously they're screening it once, once a set. You know, I, I'm saying every other changeover. You're scrubbing away, what, 50, 60 marks maybe Mm -hmm. on every other changeover? Yeah. Whereas you're doing every other set, you could be looking at a couple hundred marks possibly in the case of like a halop match where there's a lot of balls hit. You know what I mean? So um, I agree with you, Mike. I like the idea of Hawkeye being implemented just in case. Um, But if you're not – if you're really going to stand firm and say no Hawkeye on clay, no Hawkeye on clay – then you you've got to start screening the courts more often, just just plain and simple. I honestly don't feel like that's a big ask. Maybe it is, maybe it is a big deal to do that, but I, I don't think that it is. I don't. I, I don't mean, think. you and Eric know much more about clay than I do because you guys have followed it all for so long, and you guys have been on, you know, you've seen so much more uh, play on the clay surface. I, I don't think that it would be a big deal to do that. I, have you ever seen any instance where that you would think maybe any different? Not really. No, I, I wouldn't think that it would be a big deal. You get a couple of grounds, you know, people out there and they run a couple screens on each side and I think in a changeover they would have plenty of time to do that.
2: I agree. No, I definitely I don't think it agree. would slow down play. Yeah. No, I definitely agree.
3: So let's right. file our complaint to the uh, WTA. <laughs>
2: All right All right everybody That looks like that's it um, I think with this episode So I guess we will see you guys Next week for our Roland Garros preview So look for that Uh, We'll be excited to break everything down Break the draw down Make our picks So uh, until then uh, Thanks for listening to the Tennis Ag podcast And we will see you next time
3: Have a great week
0: do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and spindle craft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com. And at the checkout, enter the word geeks. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Freaking Geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to Tennis Addict Podcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lannick or at Freak Geeks.